0: So here's something to, to think about. Um, if, if simply believing if simply believing stuff was enough to make a difference, if simply believing was enough to make a difference, think how different our life would be. If simply believing stuff, in other words, um, you believe what you believe about health and nutrition, you believe the science behind health and nutrition. What if all you had to do was just believe the science about health and nutrition, and suddenly you had all the benefits of actually eating healthy and working out? Wouldn't that be amazing? If If simply believing was enough, Um, just just think how different our lives would be. If believing made a difference, think how different our our lives would be. Um, Nobody would have any addictions because we all believe that addictions are bad. They ruin our relationships, ruin our health. And so if simply believing was enough to make a difference, just think how different our lives would be. I mean, everything would be different. Think financially, we know the principles of finance. We need to stay out of debt. We need to spend less than we make. We need to save and prepare for the future. We believe all that. you know. So if if believing was enough to make a difference, think how different our life would be would be, when it comes to school, I mean, we all know that preparation is the way forward for a student, right? We believe that preparation is, is how you move forward. So what if what if simply believing that preparation was the way forward, but you didn't have to actually prepare? So again, if all it took was believing all the right things, our lives would be so much better, They they would be, I mean, it would be amazing what we'd be able to accomplish. The truth is most of us believe the right stuff and most of us know what we need to know to live better and more productive lives. I mean, our problem, I think for most of us, the problem is not a lack of information. I mean, we know we need to be honest. We know we need to forgive. We know that we need to be compassionate. We know we need to be generous. Um, For the most part, we know what we need to know and we believe everything we need to believe. But the truth is, and we know this as well, that knowing and believing doesn't really make any difference, otherwise our lives would be very different. There would be, our relationships would be better. We'd be better off financially, better off in terms of health. We'd be better off really in, in, in every area. And believe it or not, believe it or not, Jesus knew this. Believe it or not, Jesus actually knew and actually taught in such a way that underscore the fact that he knew that simply believing is not enough. So consequently, he didn't invite people. And this may run a little contrary to what perhaps you believe about Jesus or maybe what you learned growing up in church. But because of this, Jesus didn't spend a lot of time just trying to get people to believe things that he said. He actually invited them over and over and over, and I think invites us to this very day to do things, because he knew what we know, that doing is what makes all the difference. And and perhaps this next statement is why you tuned in or why you're at church today, and maybe this is all you need to, to run on for the rest of the day or the rest of the week. When we believe but don't do, Our dreams don't come true. When we believe but don't do, our dreams don't come true. In fact, I would like for all of us to just say this out loud together, okay? If if nothing else, you can pass this along to your children, even if you don't apply it. Ready? All together, when we believe but don't do, our dreams. Yeah, you've never met anybody who failed for a lack of believing the right thing necessarily or even knowing everything they need to know, obviously. uh, In in spite of the fact, there's certainly things people need to know. And if they don't know them, they can't act on them. But for the most part, we fail and people fail in life, not because they didn't believe the right stuff or even know all the right stuff, it's, it's what we do because it's doing or not doing that ultimately makes all the difference. But worse, but worse than that, if we believe all the right things, but don't do anything with what we believe, our faith, our faith becomes feeble and frail and fragile. Today we're in part two of the series that we began last time we were together, Faithful, Fueling Your Faith in a World on Empty. And we discovered last time that Jesus' agenda for his first century followers, and I think we could make the case his agenda for his 21st century followers, many of us, is that we would be people of big, active, in the real world in spite of faith. In other words, that we would live our actual lives, our relationships, how we manage our money, our time, our careers, our academic careers, our dreams, our goals, that in the real world that our confidence in God would be translated into action and activity and responses and reactions or a lack of reactions to the people and the circumstances around us. In fact, we said last time we were together, the only thing, the only thing to ever amaze Jesus in the gospels are the four accounts of his life. The only time Jesus was like, you know, amazed or the other translation of that Greek term, the only time he ever marveled was when he encountered someone who had big confidence or faith in him and acted on his faith. And this explains why his initial invitation, and I think his invitation to us today, wasn't just to believe a lot of things. His actual invitation was, follow me, follow me. It, it was relational, it was active, it was interactive, um, and Jesus never altered or backed down on this invitation. It was follow me right up to the end, right as he's about to go into Jerusalem, you know, for the big finale of his crucifixion. He still invites somebody to, hey, I want you to lay down what you have right now and I want you to follow me. But over time, something pretty horrible happened. The church, kind of dumbed this down. In fact, if if you grew up in church, it's it's possible that you never even heard the phrase, follow me. What you heard, and honestly, what I heard a lot was believe in me, believe in me, believe in me. So the church reduced follow me to simply believe in me. And as you would imagine, in fact, as many of us have experienced, believe in me is a lot easier (laughs) than follow me, isn't it? Believe in me is a lot safer than follow me. Believe in me is far less demanding than follow me. But unfortunately, just believe in me is an invitation that leaves you exactly where you are. No change required. But Jesus did not merely invite people to believe true things about him so they could go to heaven when they died. Read the gospels, that is not the case at all. Jesus invited people to live their life or to live a life that actually reflected their confidence and their faith or their trust in God. And as we said last time, the reason Jesus came was so that we could know what God is truly like so that we could place our confidence in the real God, the God as he truly is, not God as we imagined God to be or God that we grew up believing God to be. So the invitation was for people to live their lives in such a way that reflected their confidence in God, because like us, God is most honored by our active and our living, our living, active, death-defying in spite of faith. You're most honored when you're supposed to be somewhere at seven, it's seven o'clock and you're not there and somebody turns to the people waiting for you and and says, you know what, don't worry, she'll be here, he'll be here, I know them, they're gonna come through. You're most honored when there's a gap between what people expected of you and what they experienced from you and they decided to place in the gap that they would believe the best about you. They trusted your character. That's you know, she's not usually this way, he's not usually this way, there's something we don't know. They just they just have confidence in you because of your character. I mean, it's so honoring. Somebody says something bad about you and somebody hears it and they turn and they say, No, that's not that's not the person I know. Why? Because they just express confidence in you. And then you hear that story, if you've ever heard a story like that, and you're so honored by that. That's That's what this is about, that God is most honored by our living, active in the world, confidence and faith in him, even when it looks as if he's not paying attention or he's not going to come through. And Jesus taught this over and over and over, modeled this over and over, and forced his first century followers, as we're gonna see next time, into circumstances where they were forced to trust God in spite of over and over and over. So Jesus did not invite people to simply believe things or to simply believe believe things even about him. He invited people to follow him. To essentially, I guess we could reduce it to this, to, to wake up every morning, and you should try this, to wake up every morning with this question. What would I do if I was confident that God is with me? What would I do, not what would I think or simply believe, but what would I do today? How would I respond? How would I react? What would I initiate? What would I avoid? What conversation would I begin? Who would I forgive? Who would I ask to forgive me? What would I do if I was absolutely confident that God is with me, God not as I imagined God to be, but God who was revealed through the teaching and the life of Jesus? So in this series, we're asking the question and answering the question, hopefully, over the course of a lifetime, over the course of a lifetime, what kinds of things fuel or what fuels or facilitates the development of enduring faith, the kind of faith that works itself out in the real world, that shows up at work, that shows up at home, that shows up in trauma, that shows up in fear, that shows up in worry, that shows up when I'm being challenged and I know what I wanna do and I know what they deserve for me to do, but I'm not sure that's what I ought to do. How do we develop that kind of long range, in the moment, gritty, real world faith? Faith that will sustain us from childhood all the way through adulthood. In other words, what, what are the ingredients that if we stirred them together would create that kind of faith, that kind of go the distance in spite of faith? in other words again what are what are those ingredients if we if we if we knew what they were and we could stir them together what what you know what are those and the good news is this based on the teaching of Jesus in the gospels and based on literally hundreds and hundreds of conversations with go the distance long-term christians who have mature faith that we did many many years ago we've come to the conclusion that there are five things specifically that god uses to grow up and blow up our faith, and they're not a list of things to do. They're more like dynamics as you're gonna see, some things you have control over, some things that you don't, but there are five things that when people tell their faith story, when you talk to somebody who's kind of a mature, go the distance Christian that's been through the valleys, been to the mountaintop, they trust God when things are up to the right, and they trust God when things are you know, down the other way. When you talk to them and hear their stories, you hear these five things over and over and over and over, not because somebody taught them these five things, These were just the five things that over time, over the course of a lifetime, that God used to grow their faith. Sometimes we refer to these as the five faith catalysts. You might've even heard us talk about this at some point in the past. Five things that God consistently uses to grow our faith, and the great thing about these is that they intersect with our lives in every season of life. They intersect with our lives in childhood, while we're in middle school, high school, for a college student, university student, a newlywed, somebody who's been married for a long time, somebody who's facing health challenges, somebody who's you know, just overwhelmed with success. In every season of life, these five things interface in, with us in our lives in such a way to help grow up and mature our faith. So for the next few weeks, as I said last time, we're gonna explore each of these five things. And today we're beginning with the first one and we refer to it as practical teaching, practical teaching. Whenever you hear a faith story, and if, you have a faith story, this is part of your story, I bet. Everyone always tells about the time or describes the time they were first introduced to practical teaching, that someone opened the scripture and they taught from the scripture in such a way that they knew what to do with what they'd heard, that somebody finally gave them handles and applications that they sort of always believed in God and they sort of always believed in Jesus, but they didn't know what it looked like in the real world. They didn't know how to take it home. They didn't know how to take it to work. And so somebody for the first time opened the scripture in such a way that they knew what to do with what they believed. And they say, this is something that began to grow their faith. And perhaps that's your story as well. And the reason, the reason that application, the reason that real world application of the teaching of Jesus grows our faith is this, when our active faith, when our active application oriented faith intersects with God's faithfulness, our faith grows. That when our active faith, in other words, you kind of feel nudged, hey, you need to go make things right with them. I don't wanna make things right with them. You need to make things right with them. I don't wanna, and then finally you give into that nudge. You have that challenging conversation. And on the other side of it, you're so glad you did. And on the other side of it, you see God's faithfulness your faith grows. So whenever we step out in obedience, or to say it another way, whenever we follow Jesus um, in an area where it's challenging, where it costs us something, where we resist at first, but finally give in, when our faithfulness to God intersects with his faithfulness to us, our faith gets bigger because, and we're gonna come back to this, your faith is like a muscle. And if you want your muscle to grow, You have to exercise it. And an exercise of faith is simply saying, God, I'm gonna say yes to you, even though I don't know how it's gonna turn out. I'm gonna say yes to you, even though no one else would do this. I'm gonna say yes to you, even though everybody thinks I'm crazy. I'm gonna say yes to you because I know it's the right thing to do. And I don't know what the outcome is, but God, I trust you. And on the other side of that decision, when you experience the faithfulness of God, your faith gets bigger. But for many people that never begins until they're exposed to application oriented faith, either in high school, college, or perhaps um, as an adult. And when we experience God's faithfulness, here's the thing, you're actually experiencing God. God is spirit. God doesn't have a physical body. God doesn't usually have a physical voice. Oftentimes when people feel like God spoke to them, We're not so sure, are we? Um, Anyway, we won't talk about that. But so the point is, because God is spirit, the best way to experience God is to experience his faithfulness on the other side of an act of obedience. And remember this, we talked about this last time, that trust, when it comes to relationship, trust is actually the currency of relationship. So to have a relationship with an invisible God is all about trust, and when you express trust, practically, not just in your mind or in my mind. When we express trust, pr- trust practically, we experience the faithfulness of God. And that's the essence of a relationship with God because obedience demonstrates trust and provides God with an opportunity to be trustworthy. If you never step out and do what Jesus called you to do, if we never step out in, in the real world and live out our faith out loud, We deprive, I know it sounds strange. There's a sense in which we deprive God of demonstrating his faithfulness to us. Now, again, as I said earlier, this was a theme Um, throughout Jesus' ministry in terms of how he led people. And it was certainly a theme in terms of his teaching, as we'll see next time, Jesus was constantly with his 12 apostles, pushing them into uncomfortable circumstances, asking them to do things they could not do, they had never done before, and they weren't sure it was going to work in an effort to get them to trust him so they could experience his faithfulness on the other side of that decision. But in his teaching with everybody else, Jesus pointed in this direction as well. And the best example of this is in his most famous sermon. Uh, We call it the Sermon on the Mount. There's a version found in Matthew. There's a version found in Luke. My theory is that whenever Jesus taught, this was kind of his his go-to content, his go-to sermon. I mean, the apostles would be like, yeah, we've heard this before. I think I've heard it 20 times. Because I think this this is what Jesus brought in terms of real world um, faith building application. Um, and so when you read the Sermon on the Mount, again, it's found in Matthew and it's found in Luke, it's so challenging because it is so practical. Um, in this, this message or in, this, in these applications, Jesus is introducing what we could call his upside down kingdom ethic. He came into the world where the people with all the power and all the resources leverage their power and resources for their own benefit. And Jesus says, I wanna turn that upside down. And those of you with power and resources should leverage your power and resources for the sake of those who have less power and fewer resources. This was a completely new concept. So Jesus turns it all upside down and it's all about others first. So if somebody asks you for a favor, do more than they ask. If somebody wants you to give, give more than they ask. It, it was sort of this open-ended generosity, open-ended um, compassion, um, open-ended forgiveness. Just no matter what's happened to you, he says, you, you are to forgive. And then he would say things like, don't worry. <laughs> don't worry in a, in a culture where there was so much to worry about. Pray for your enemy, to which they would say, we rarely pray for our friends. And then there was that that whole yank the plank you know, teaching he did. You're familiar with this? Where he says, if you see somebody and there's something about them that bothers you, before you go try to get the little speck of sawdust out of their eye, you go home and look in the mirror and make sure you don't have the same issue. So deal with you first. So you'll be in a better position to go help them. And then once you get the plank out of your own eye, don't just go on your merry way. You do, you do need to go have that awkward conversation to make sure you can help them. But once you deal with what's you know, true of you, you will be able to see more clearly to help them deal with what's true for them. So you are obligated to help, but you start with the person in the mirror. I mean, all of this was so new. And then there was this whole idea. He said that you can't even be right with God, your father, if you have something against your brother or your sister, this was so upside down because they lived in a culture that was like, no, I, I can be good with God, whether I'm good with them or not. Jesus says, no, it's not that way. So almost everything in the Sermon on the Mount was so counter cultural. It was terribly practical. It was, it was so practical that it was honestly, it was, it was impractical. But this was his way of saying, I'm inviting you into a different way of living. I'm inviting you into a different kingdom. I'm inviting you into a kingdom that's nothing like this world because it's completely opposite and upside down from this world. And I'm inviting you as an individual and I'm inviting you as a community, not to simply believe a different way or to know new things. I'm inviting you to do life differently. And this is what it would mean to follow Jesus. So no wonder, the church came along and dumbed it all down to simply believing things because Jesus' teaching was so challenging. And yet, for those of you who have embraced the practical teaching of Jesus, you know there's a reward on the other side. And you know it has made your life better. But when you're first introduced to this, or if you take it seriously, it's like, I, 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 I believe, you know, I, I, I took notes. I, to do this, I just feel like it puts me at risk. And it's like your heavenly father saying, come on, trust me, trust me, trust me, trust me. You won't ever experience me until you trust me, not here, out here. After Jesus finishes sermon on the Mount with all, I mean, there's so so much in it. At the end, um, he concludes with a promise to the men and the women or even the children who take him seriously and take him up on this offer to follow him into this new way of actual living, a new kind of lifestyle. Not a one and done, a lifestyle embracing this kingdom value. And here's what he says at the very end. And most of you, most of us are familiar with his teaching. In fact, it's a parable, Um, but many of us learned this growing up. In fact, you might even know a song, but I encourage you not to sing it. But here's, here's what Jesus says. He says, therefore, again, he's just finished all this practical real world stuff. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, everyone who sat through this sermon, everyone who just their jaws are hanging open like what? Everyone who hears these words of mine and believes them, nope. Who remembers them, nope. Who wrote them down, nope. Who agrees with them, nope. I know what it is, who feels convicted by them. Nope. And unfortunately, that's about as far as most sermons sometimes take us. In fact, there's a weird thing in American religion, and, and maybe it's all over the world, but it's certainly an American thing, especially for Christians, that when we come to church and the preacher kind of beats us up a little bit and we feel so, sort of bad about ourselves, we feel like we've had an encounter with God. And it's like, oh, that was... That was so good. I mean, that was so rough, I'm not gonna do anything with it, but wow, the experience was rough. I mean, I feel like having an encounter with God, I feel guiltier, I feel worse about myself and I know he's right and I know God's right and I wish I was a better person, see you next week and beat me up some more because we we confuse feeling bad about ourselves and kind of being beat up by the preacher as if that's some sort of encounter with God and your heavenly father says, no, that's not an encounter with me. The encounter with me that I want you to have is I want you to do this stuff and then experience me on the other side it, that's the encounter I want you to have. So Jesus says, anyone who has heard this message of mine, who has heard these words of mine and puts them into practice, anyone who's he, who hears and then does, who acts on what I've just taught is like a wise man or a wise person. And what is a wise man or a wise woman or wise person? A wise person is somebody who connects the dots, who understands the relationship between what they do today and what happens tomorrow, who lives as if today's behavior actually creates or shapes tomorrow's reality and understands that doing, not simply believing, is what shapes the life and what ultimately makes a difference. He says, the person who just heard this message and actually puts it into practice is like a wise man who built his house, who established his future, who established her future, who established her life, who went all all in. It's like that person who does what I just said, they're establishing their life. It's like they're building their house on a rock. Now, this is where we we, kind of lose it because if you buy a piece of property that's got a lot of rock, you're in trouble. You have to hire somebody to come out with dynamite, right? Before you can even pour a foundation because the way we do foundations is we dig a deep hole, we pour concrete and rebar and we have footings to, to, to build houses. Back then they didn't do it that way. The best thing you could do was find something very solid like rock and dig a foundation or build a foundation on rock. But the problem was this was very labor intensive. It took a long time and it was often more expensive. His point is simply this. He's saying the wisest thing you could do, the wisest thing you could do is to build your life on the foundation of my teaching. It's going to be harder initially it's going to be more time-consuming initially. <laughs> Your neighbors are gonna think you're crazy. You know, if you just move a half a mile down, I mean, our house is up in no time. Meanwhile, you're trying to scratch through the rock. He said, but ultimately and long-term, the person who listens to what I just said, as countercultural as it is and as challenging as it is, and decides this is the way I'm gonna live my life. This is how I'm gonna manage my life and my relationships. He says, that person is like a person who chose to do it the hard way and to build their life on the rock. It'll cost you, he says, but it's more rewarding. Now the problem, or if, if we just pause right there and we're in Jesus' audience, um, there's a question he kind of leaves hanging in the air. And the question he leaves hanging in the air as it relates to this is the, un, the unspoken question is, do you trust me? Do you trust me? do you trust me? Will, will you live this way before you know what the outcome is? Will you follow me? Not do you believe me or even believe in me? Do you and will you trust me even before you know what the outcome is? That's the question. That's the question for me every day. That's the question for you every single day. Not do we believe. Do we Trust, And it's only when we express our trust in the real world that our faith intersects with God's faithfulness and we experience God. And this was Jesus invitation saying, come on, trust me. Trust me. Then he illustrates the, the outcome or the future of the doers. He says this, you may remember this. He says, the rain came down after this person built their house on rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house. And yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock, something they all understood because occasionally there would be a flash flood in this region of the world. And if you did not have a good foundation, it was a total loss. This was sometimes the difference between life and death, surviving with something to show or surviving with nothing to show if you survived at all. But he continues, he says, but everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them in a notebook, feels guilty, nods and says, amen, but does not put them into practice and even comes back for another dose next week is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Now, if you've tuned out, I need you to tune back in for just a moment because the implications for what Jesus is saying here, the implications are staggering and stunning for the average church person. In fact, if you're not a church person, you are gonna love this part of the message, okay? The implications are staggering. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, it is possible for you to attend some kind of gathering every week of your life or every other, every, you know, twice a week. It it is possible to hear and it's possible to believe and yet live a life that ultimately undermines your faith. It is possible to hear and it's possible to believe and yet live your life in such a way that your practical life undermines what you've heard and what you believe, that will actually set you up for a crisis of faith. Or to say it a different way, that believing can actually be deceiving. Now, real quick, if you're not a Jesus follower, not a Christian, maybe you used to be, this is, this is where we pretty much owe you an apology. Because one of the reasons that you gave up on Christianity or you've never explored Christianity, it's not simply that you don't believe it. You wonder sometimes if we believe it, because you've heard our rhetoric and you've heard what we say about God and about the Bible and about truth and all this stuff. And then you look at the way we actually live and you look at the way we actually treat people. And the reason you're not more open to believing what we believe is because if I can be honest on our behalf, you're not convinced we believe what we believe because we don't live it out. And the discrepancy, the distance between what we say we believe and what we do leaves you wondering who in the world would be even interested in that kind of belief system. And you are not wrong, and in that sense, we all in some way owe you an apology, but here's what I would say to you. Ignore us for a moment and read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and at least consider following Jesus, because our inability or our unwillingness to move beyond belief to actual practical application in the real world in no way undermines the reality of God's love for you and the reality of his invitation to you to follow him, but I get it. Because if we don't live out what we say we believe, why in the world would you find that belief system at all interesting? The interesting thing too is James, the brother of Jesus comes along and he'd heard all this from his older brother. And James writes a letter, we call it the book of James. And he's even more direct than Jesus. Here's what James, the brother of Jesus says on the same topic. He says to his audience, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Believing can be deceiving. If you think that because you believe everything and you know everything you need to know and you have the perfect theology, but you don't do anything, James says, you're just deceiving yourself. You're thinking something that's not true about you and it's ultimately gonna come back on you. Don't merely listen to the word and, and so deceive yourselves. Remember, ready for this next line? Do, there it is again. Do what it says, but, but I believe in Jesus. James is going, okay, okay. Hey, come on. Believing doesn't do anything. A faith that doesn't do any good, it's not any good. It doesn't do anybody any good. It doesn't even do you any good. In fact, it's bad for you because you're deceiving yourself thinking you're something you're not or that you're somewhere you're not or that you're prepared for something you're not because faith is a muscle. And if you don't exercise it, it atrophies and it withers away. And the way we exercise our faith is not by believing things. We exercise our faith by stepping out and doing things and experiencing God's faithfulness. That's what grows our faith. And then after James says this, as if that wasn't enough, he gives us this amazing illustration. It's one of my favorite illustrations in the whole New Testament. It's the the mirror illustration and I'll just give you my version. He says, believing everything you're supposed to believe and believing perfectly, but not doing is like getting up in the morning, walking into your bathroom, looking into the mirror and going, I believe I look terrible. I believe my face needs some work. I believe my hair needs some work. I believe that I would be, that I would probably, the kids would probably run away and hide if anybody saw the way I look like now. I'm absolutely convinced I need to do some work on my face and my hair and then putting on your bathrobe and going to work, (laughs) which none of us would do. You know why? Because when it comes to our appearance, we're not just hearers. We're not just seers and we're not just believers, we are doers. We would rather be late for work than to show up not looking good. And James says, to listen to the truth and to listen to the teaching of Jesus and go, I believe it, I believe it, I believe it. And to do nothing with it is like showing up somewhere in public, having given no attention to something that's important to you in terms of your personal appearance. And we would never do that. But somehow, some way, it has become so easy for us to just retreat to, but I believe all the right things. Here's the thing, if all you do is believe and you never step out and practice what you believe, you are setting yourself up for a crisis of faith because you're not building strong faith and one day you're gonna need it and it won't be there. And it's like sowing and reaping. You can't rush a crop, you're either ready Oh, you're not. And Jesus says, I want you to be ready. So follow me, follow me, follow me, not just in your head. I want you to follow me in the real world. I want you to trust me and trust my heavenly father so that your act of faith will intersect with his faithfulness and you'll know your father in heaven. And then James, like Jesus, Jesus offered the promise. Hey, your house will stand. James offers this promise. This is amazing. He says this, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law, that gives freedom, and by the way, if your approach to Christianity doesn't, relate, doesn't result in more freedom, then you either don't have the right approach or you're not doing anything with it. He says that anybody who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they believe. No, they will be blessed in what they do. This is James' way of saying, if you want to experience God, and if you want to experience the blessings of God, and I don't mean just so you'll be more blessed, but just the experience of God, he says, you've gotta do something with what you say. You believe, again, Jesus promised, and we just read it, the rains came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, but it didn't fall because his foundation was on the rock. This is an invitation to live it out loud and to live it everywhere we go. And the point as it relates to this whole series is it is in living it out that our faith gets stronger. Then there's the other character in the story, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice. I mean, they're there every Sunday, they just don't do anything with it. They feel convicted, they wrote it down, they even memorized some of it, but they never did anything with it. It's like a foolish person, a foolish man or woman who built their house on the sand. It was quick and it was easy. They listened, they might've even agreed and believed with it, but they just didn't do anything with it because it was just too hard, it just interfered too much. And the rains came down, same rains. And the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell with a great crash. This is important. Do you know, and maybe this is your story, I hope not. Do do you know how people who listen and believe, but don't do, Do you know how people who listen, believe, and don't do respond when the crash comes? They often either blame God, or they conclude there is no God. And do you know why they blame God or conclude there is no God? Because their faith is fragile, frail, and weak. Because although they believed, their faith was feeble, frail, and fragile, even though they believed they had not exercised that faith muscle to be prepared for the inevitable storms of life. Then I love this part. When Jesus finished the whole thing, the whole Sermon on the Mount, and then his final you know, parable about the wise and foolish builder, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed. They were amazed at his teaching because he didn't teach like everybody else. He taught as one who had authority. Not as their teachers of the law. Can you imagine having been there for that? When your obedience, when my obedience, when our obedience intersects with God's faithfulness, our faith gets bigger. This is an invitation to grow your faith because, again, it's like a muscle. Neglect it refuse to use it, refuse to exercise it, just believe in your head, but that's too hard, that's too expensive, that costs too much, that's, gonna, that's too much ego, I have too much ego to do that, I'm not gonna forgive her, I'm not gonna step in, I'm not gonna confront, I, it just, I'm just not gonna do it. Neglect it and you miss the opportunity to experience your heavenly father and you miss the opportunity to grow your faith in preparation for whatever's coming down the road, the inevitabilities of life. And if you decide not if you decide to be the person who believes, but not do. And eventually you have a crisis of faith and you walk away from faith, which happens all the time. Initially, you will be relieved. When you walk away from faith, honestly, for for a minute, for a day, for for a season, life is easier when you finally say there's nothing to God and there's nothing to Jesus, there's nothing to any of this. Because building your house on sand is always easier, quicker, requires much less of us. But, when the rain comes and the streams rise and the winds blow and beat against that house, it's gonna fall with a great crash. And your heavenly father, this is why Jesus showed up and told us what God is like and spent so much time teaching these things. Your heavenly father wants better for you because one day the storm's coming. One day the stream's gonna rise. One day we're gonna walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And you've seen men and women face all of that with extraordinary confidence in God. And your heavenly father wants that for you. And the way you get there, the way we prepare is through practicing what Jesus preached. When, when you meet someone with big, bold faith like that, you discover quickly they've been living it, not just listening to it, I'm so fortunate because I grew up in a church with my dad where he preached this way. It wasn't just about believing. It's like, how do you do this at school? How do you live this out in a marriage? How do you live this out in a relationship? How do you live this out in your finances? How do you live this out in your emotions? I mean, he was so practical in how he taught. There was a gentleman in my life and in many of our lives in that generation, a man named Dan DeHaan who came to our student camps and he gave us handles. And he started this big thing in Atlanta we would go to for years where, where he gave us handles. This is why we provide handles in all of our environments for your children, for your middle schoolers, for your students. It's why we, we teach practically even in, in our sermon series. And, and, and here's the thing. There's, there is a time and a place for, the, to, for quiet reflection. In fact, one of the reasons some people don't like our churches is it's kind of loud and it's boisterous. And you know, I preach too long and there's you know, all this talking and, and, and I get that. But here's the thing, and, and I'm not comparing myself to Jesus. So this is the disclaimer before I say what I'm about to say but read for yourself. When Jesus would preach, it was not quiet and reflective. (laughs) When Jesus preached, John says on two occasions while he's preaching, hadn't even finished, they picked up stones to stone him. It's one of the reasons we have a stage, and there's some distance between me and the front row. You know, it's like it was when Jesus would teach. It was so disturbing. It was so upside down. It was so different. He was inviting them not into simply a different way of believing and 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 you know understanding, which that was part of it. He was inviting them to do something different. And there was so much tension, and there was so much grit, and there was so much anger at times. I mean, one time he's preaching, they tried to push him off a cliff. Hadn't even finished the message so from time to time to follow Jesus to be invited to follow Jesus there's going to be tension there's going to be because there's going to be resistance I mean how many times have you sat through a message me or somebody else and you just argued with me or whoever it was in your mind the whole time so you didn't have to do anything with it we that's the way we're wired and your heavenly father's saying come on I, I want you to trust me I I want you to step out and do what you know you need to do so on the other side of that, you experience my faithfulness. I love what Lane Jones said. He said this years ago when he was preaching a message. He said, unapplied truth is like unapplied paint. It doesn't do anybody any good. We all have a can of paint somewhere in our garage, our basement, or a closet, and we're gonna get around to it one day, aren't we? And it doesn't do us any good Then he said this, the value of paint is in the application. And Jesus agreed, application is what makes all the difference. So one thing God uses to grow up and mature and blow up our faith is application oriented teaching. Someone who gives us handles that challenges us not to simply sit and listen and not to simply experience something and so my, what I would urge you to do is find, if you haven't already, somewhere where somebody will sit down and teach you in such a way that you know what to do with what you hear and stay engaged and stay involved and make sure your kids are engaged and involved. And it's not just about being better people, it's about growing, enduring faith, being faithful in spite of the fact that we live in a world that seems to have abandoned or given up on faith. And following Jesus, it's gonna stretch your faith. It's gonna exercise your faith. It's gonna grow your faith. That's why ultimately following Jesus will make your life better. And it'll make you better, not at believing. It will make you better at life. And as I've said multiple times, we all know people that way. So I've, had, I've got an idea. Why don't we just become people like that? Well, the world needs more people like that. Your world, your family, your community, your, where you work needs more people. Like that, So let's not be content to simply believe correctly. And let's not be content to simply believe true things. Let's act on what we believe. And in those moments where we're feeling that prompting, apologize, forgive, talk to him, confront him, humble yourself, show up, Let's just say yes, because it's on the other side of that application that our obedience will intersect with the faithfulness of our heavenly father and we will experience God and our faith will get bigger. In other words, let's follow, let's follow Jesus. And we will pick it up right there next time in part three of faithful. Before we go, three quick questions to get the conversation going or to keep the conversation going. Number one, if you grew up attending church, what was emphasized in the church you grew up in? Was it information, correct theology, sacraments, attendance? Number two, have you ever applied a specific teaching of Jesus and looking back, it prepared you for an unexpected unexpected storm? And then number three, Lane said, unapplied truth is like unapplied paint. It doesn't do anybody any good. Can you think of an area in your life right now where a bit more application might make a big difference? Maybe in a relationship, maybe in your marriage, your finances, your entertainment, or time management. Um, Perhaps actually just connecting with an environment where somebody teaches the scripture in such a way that you know what to do with it. A church that provides you handles, a church that provides your children handles and applications because Jesus was correct. Anyone, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is building their life, their entire life on a foundation that will serve them well in the future. Anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is going to experience God in a way they would never experience God before and their faith will be stronger. So let's not simply be believers, let's be doers. Heavenly Father, thank you for preserving this teaching. Thank you for preserving these words. Thank you for James' boldness. Thank you for Jesus' clarity. And Father, wherever this lands with us, would you give us the wisdom to know what to do? And then would you give us the courage to do it? And Father, many of us as we're listening, we know exactly, we know exactly what we need to do. And we're just either afraid or we're worried or we're too prideful or we're too busy or too greedy. So just give us the courage to step out and to give you an opportunity to meet us on the other side of that decision and to experience your faithfulness. So Father, wherever this lands with us, just give us the wisdom, not to think about it, not even to agree with it, but to act on it in Jesus' name.